When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Silent breed is people! Who are? Mother of mercy. Is this the end of Rico? This is Simon Rose. Welcome to the Business of Film, where I'm talking to James Cameron Wilson about what's been happening at the UK box office and reviewing some films along the way. Of course, James, we're always concerned never to issue spoilers, but I'm afraid there was a spoiler there for Sword Ink Green, a film I confess I have not seen since I was a teenager. I wonder if it's still worth watching. Charlton Heston, if I seem to recall. Right, he's sci-fi film. And Lee Taylor Young. Oh, well remembered. Gosh. I haven't seen impressive. it either. You've never seen it? No, I, I remember it being very good. It was one of those films that used to be shown, you know, in the days before video, when you could go to a cinema and see sort of culty movies at 11 o'clock at night. That was often showing in the sort of sci-fi double bill. Uh, anyway, we are going to be talking about films out at the moment, aren't we? So how is the box office looking? I wish I had some good news. Oh. It's just getting worse and worse, I'm afraid. But having said that... The last two weekends, it did increase. Uh, You may remember that two weekends ago, um, it did actually jump up 119.6%. That was when the new Black Panther came out. Thanks to Wakanda Forever. Mm. Uh, And then it went up uh, 4.5%. And then last weekend, it was down 36.9%. So the fact that it's only gone down 1.9% last weekend <laughs> isn't too terrible because we do have five five new entries in wow. this week's top 10. Starting with the uh, new number one, Black Panther Wakanda Forever has finally been knocked off the top perch. And we have a much-anticipated film called Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical, which made £4.1 million pounds over the weekend, which I believe is a film that you've seen. It is indeed, yes. It is. Well, <laughs> it's very difficult, I find, in this day of constant streaming news, to go into a film without any preconceptions whatsoever. And I really struggle. And it's so annoying when somebody, even at the counter, when I finally got to the cinema, <laughs> will say, oh, yeah, Henry saw that last week. He really loved it. Or go on yes, here. This yeah, is yeah, yeah. I thought, oh, no, I've tried so hard. So I went into Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical not knowing anything. Um, and you were really good last week because you wanted to talk about it. You were bursting at the seams. Yes, and we I don't know what you think and you don't know what I think. Um, so I'm just going to jump off the diving mm-hmm. board and say I'm not sure I can remember seeing a worse musical in all my life. 
Oh, wow. See, I didn't enjoy it <laughs> enormously, and I thought you were going to sort of say how much you enjoyed it. Well, you go first, James. I'm, okay. I, I may be the one who actually liked it slightly more than you then. but um... Well, I've seen some turkeys in my time, but this was... Well, to be fair, I didn't catch the stage musical on which the film is based. But then, in spite of its success, it probably hasn't been seen by the lion's share of the potential cinema audience, yeah, yeah. most of whom don't have immediate access to or can afford big city theatres, certainly not Broadway or London's West End. So I feel I have to judge the film on its own merits. And it ain't subtle. I don't... I, I know that we have to expect the dark and the grotesque from Roald Dahl. Mm. But Roald Dahl's Matilda, the musical, terrible title, terrible poster, incidentally. It's so over the top, but I just couldn't engage with it. No doubt the production designers, David Hindel and Christian Huband, had enormous fun kitting out the vulgar nouveau riche home of the Wormwood family, something that would have worked on stage, but just seems like, an exaggeration on screen. Mr. and Mrs. Wormwood are true grotesques, but somehow in the first film version, Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman seem so much funnier. True, yes. Stephen Graham as Mr. Wormwood has ridiculous dentures, and Andrea Riseborough as Mrs. Wormwood has equally absurd wigs, but the strutting and braying of the characters, sorry, caricatures, mm -hmm. left me cold. I kept on thinking of the great caricatures on screen, like Jack Nicholson as the Joker in Tim Burton's Batman, and Tim Curry as Frankenfurter in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And they had a possessed spirit that somehow worked wonders in those films. But I had other problems with Matilda the Musical. Alicia Weir who plays the eponymous child prodigy, mm. swallows the lyrics, so I had no idea what she was singing about. And well, I chip song... in here because I have to say, I really longed for subtitles. I mean, I'm told oh, Tim Mitchell's a great, is a great... You could sometimes hear lines and thought that was really clever, but then you couldn't hear the next line or the line after. It was annoying in the extreme. And well, I don't really like... want to go to one of those sort of, you know, hard of hearing... Um, things. I mean, there are <laughs> subtitle performances, I think, occasionally, aren't there? But and what's the point of a musical if you can't hear what they're singing? Oh, I'm so glad I'm not the only one. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. And and the songs were not there in this particular version by Tim Minchin. They were not there to propel the narrative, but merely to decorate the screen. Mm. At best, to flesh out the characters, say, of Miss Honey and Miss Trunchbull. And there are even songs which seem to have nothing to do with the plot, but are sung by Matilda to show what a good storyteller she is. What these numbers may later, they may later have some validity, but they do slow the narrative down. Back in the old, old days, they built flimsy narratives around hit songs to create a popular show until Rodgers and Hammerstein transformed the musical number into a narrative device that actually drove the plot forward, yeah. both emotionally and structurally. But here the musical is set back 50 years at the very least. 
And then I'm going to chip in again because um, P.G. Woodhouse and Guy Bolton and Jerome Kern are the ones who are credited with first introducing a musical in which the plot had advanced by the songs. Before that, people just stopped and did a song. And as you say, I mean, it's gone back not just that long, but practically to the 1920s, almost a century. Well, uh, and then, of course, there's the terrifying Miss Trunchbull, the nightmarish principal of Cruncham Hall Elementary School, a monstrous creation who hates children and bans such adjectives as kindness, patience and respect from her classroom, declaring that to teach the child, you have to break the child. Mm. As Trunchbull, Emma Thompson is unrecognisable, much as she was as Nanny McPhee, and is so heavily made up that any performer could have played the same role, rather defeating the purpose of acting. Now, an actress like Florence Pugh explains that acting is all about reaction as well as action, which is why I suspect that she will never have Botox inflicted on her face, as it will rob her of that very mm. ability. Yes, Miss Trunchbull is scary, but unlike Thompson's Baroness von Hellman in Cruella, she is a cardboard cutout. And nothing really makes sense. When the Wormwoods turn up at the school, set in the rolling English countryside, I believe Buckinghamshire, to pick Matilda up, they have only 40 minutes to catch their plane, which, as anybody who has taken a flight will tell you, is impossible. Would it have hurt to base the film in some semblance of reality? I agree. I think things would have worked a lot better if it had felt grounded in reality with some things exaggerated as indeed the, the, the 1996 film was. Yes. And indeed yes, the story. I, I know. I mean, there's nothing in this film that makes any sense. It's very woke, and yet it's quite cruel. And the sequence where uh, Bogtrotter has to eat a four-tier chocolate cake, and he's told that if he leaves one crumb, he will be further punished. So he proceeds to stuff, to wipe the cake all over his face which is ignoring the instructions, but it's just a visual, it's done for visual, for a visual comic effect, and it doesn't make any sense. I mean, maybe it works in the theatre. Same director, I believe, has directed the original production of the theatre, and obviously it's been fantastically successful there, but I agree. I I mean, I wasn't absolutely bored. Um, My friend had never encountered the story. I mean, Matilda, both (laughs) the book and the other film, you know, was very... um, uh, entertain my children enormously. They were at the right age for it. My friend had never come across the story before, and I said, "Well, you see the 1996 film because that's really good." But they thought this was so blah they didn't want to. Well, it's interesting because when I saw the film and I came out, and the usual duty managers rushed mm. up to find out what I thought, and they didn't seem surprised. They said, well, I saw the trailer. I'm not going to see the film. And then I looked at the Telegraph, which gave it five stars. Yeah, I saw. And the Sun gave it five stars. It is. So, yeah. So I decided to get my review up online without actually reading any of these reviews, only to see many of my friends responding and agreeing with me. They said, I mm. wish I'd read your review first because I thought it was yeah. dire. I, so I mean, why I, did the I wouldn't say I wouldn't stars? say dire, but they changed the story. I mean, you know, it may have worked well in the theatre, but all this stuff about her being a great storyteller—I mean, it was all utterly irrelevant and really distracted from the main plot of the of the film. 
but as you say, not a, I don't think, a big success. And also, who is it aimed at? Because I don't think many young children would actually understand much of what's going on. There weren't many jokes for children. I mean, one joke about knickers from uh, <gasps> Miss Trunchbull. But I mean, I, I, I mean, in fairness, I don't think the kids were misbehaving. They weren't showing that they weren't absorbed in what's on the screen. But I, there weren't many laughs. Well, I don't. I didn't hear a single titter throughout the entire screening, and there was quite a lot of children in the screening that yeah. I attended. Well, James, um, because we're almost halfway through, and I know you've got <laughs> other films to talk about, so let's just quickly give you a chance to catch your breath, and then we'll be back. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson about the business of film. So, James, um, you said there were was it five um, films uh, new in entries. the top, new, new entries in the top. So we've only uh, got a few minutes left, so we're going to have to move on a pace. OK, well, I think because there are so many new films would explain why the ones that are in the top 10 have dropped so significantly. Mm-hmm. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which was at number one fell 56%, but it still made 2.7 million over the weekend with a total now of 27 million quid. We have a new film at number three, which made £833,000 called Strange World. Now, cinemas have been waiting with bated breath for the next Disney behemoth. So the fact that the Mouse House's 61st animated feature only made £833,000 at 573 screens. Sounds like a death knell of sorts. It was certainly odd seeing it in an entirely empty cinema. But we still have the Christmas holidays ahead, although I'm not sure, like Matilda the Musical, who its, its intended audience will I don't think they'll really understand it. Having said that, I think such tricky narrative scenarios were unfolded in Inside Out and Ralph Breaks the Internet, which didn't do so badly. But the data shows that the more familiar scenarios scenarios pull in the biggest numbers. The highest grossing Disney film of all time, I'm talking about animated features, is the remake of The Lion King, followed by Frozen 2, followed by Frozen, Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4, Toy Story 3, the original The Lion King, released in 1994, Zootopia, and Finding Dory, all of which made over a billion dollars each at the international box office. So it might seem that a Disney cartoon should be a surefire hit Mm. at the multiplex. And on other outlets after the initial theatrical run. And of course, there's Disney Plus, if you can afford it. But I I even think £80 a year, considering, I mean, it's a great babysitting tool. I I don't think that's maybe that bad. And so to Strange World, which is a strange world indeed, set in a happy valley called Avalonia, trapped in a seemingly limitless mountain range. Our protagonist, or one of our protagonists, Jaeger Clade, voiced by Dennis Quaid, believes there is more to the world than the provincial pleasures provided by his community. And so dragging along some volunteers and his son, 
the misnamed Searcher, voiced by Jake Gyllenhaal, he sets off into the mountains. But Searcher can't help touching stuff, first setting off an avalanche and then becoming entranced by a bush projecting from the snow, which looks like a sort of electric gooseberry shrub. Finally, Jaeger loses his patience and, leaving his son and the volunteers behind, stomps off into the wilderness, never to be seen again. This, of course, never happened in Roland Emmerich's The Day After Tomorrow, when Dennis Quaid set across treacherous snowy wastes to reclaim his son, also played by Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> we then cut forward 25 years and Searcher is now married to a black crop duster. He has a 16-year-old son who is a tr has a, a same-sex crush going on, and they have a three-legged dog. So there's a lot of box-ticking going on. But what Searcher has done, he, he's taken some of this plant that he discovered on the snowy waste, and he's turned it into a source of enormous green energy. And now they've now got flying machines, and Avalonia has become this advanced civilization. And he's the, the hero. His father before him was the hero, and now he's the hero. But then this wonderful crop, which they're all reliant on, starts to die. There is a disease out there. So they go, he has to go on a search to find what's contaminating the roots. And I, I really want to talk about She Said, so I'm just going to say right. that it is, on one level, it is quite extraordinary. And I think you may need a sort of degree in quantum mechanics to understand where it's going. I think it will go over the heads of a lot of children, but visually it is astonishing. And they go into this parallel world somehow, I won't tell you how, in order to find what is killing the root that has made their community flourish. Mm -hmm. And it is set in a multiverse. Uh, and there is one particular character who is translucent, has got many sort of limbs. And I noticed that he's called Splat and he's already a toy in every good Disney store. I was very divided by this film. I was engaged by it, mainly visually. But I wasn't moved and I didn't laugh. And I think it will go over a lot of children's heads. Mm -hmm. OK, so that's Strange World at number three. Um, let's crack on, James. OK, well, I would like to talk about She Said, which made £444,000. Now, you made a comment before we went on air that you weren't very keen to see this. Please I'd, explain. I'd seen a review that just made it sound very tedious. But maybe you're going to tell me otherwise. Where did you read that review, Simon I cannot Rose? now remember. Cannot now remember. Okay. She Said is a film about actresses. It is directed by an actress, Maria Schrader, who won the Silver Bear in 1999 for her role in Amy and Jaguar, which I actually bought online last week because mm -hmm. I'm so into Maria Schrader now. And she said stars actresses playing newspaper reporters and famous actresses playing themselves. Carey Mulligan and Zoe Kazan last worked together on the 2018 drama Wildlife, which Zoe Kazan co-wrote with her husband, Paul Dano, and which Carey Mulligan starred with Jake Gyllenhaal. 
In fact, Mulligan also starred opposite Paul Dano in the new sci-fi Netflix film Spaceman, which is due to be streamed next year. So there is obviously a personal chemistry here, a real-life connection. Here they play Megan Twoey and Jodie Cantor, two reporters from the New York Times. We first see Megan, Megan, Kerry Mulligan, skewered on the sharp end of male abuse in a phone call with a politician who is asked to comment on an allegation of sexual abuse. He rants down the phone at her, you are a disgusting human being. And he ends up as the president of the United States. But there is another predator lurking in the boardrooms and hotel rooms of corporate power, who has, thanks to Megan and Jody, ended up behind bars instead of the railings outside the White House. There is a real feeling of female outrage steaming between the cracks of the narrative of She Said, a film which is not only scripted by a woman, the British writer Rebecca Lenkiewicz, who co-wrote the screenplays of Colette and with Sebastian Lelio, Disobedience, but it is also lit by the Argentinian cinematographer Natasha Breyer and co-produced by Didi Gardner. Megan and Jodie are the Woodward and Bernstein of the Me Too movement, although she said is about the horrific abuse meted out by Harvey Weinstein. It accumulates its power through the human lives of these two intrepid reporters of the balancing act that their lives entail, both as wives and mothers and professionals. The scenes of abuse of Weinstein's voice, which lasts two and a half minutes, are played out over the very hotel rooms and corridors once haunted, haunted by the sexual predator. As the director, Maria Schrader, told the New York Times, I do not need to add another rape scene to the world. And of course, the imagination is so much mm. worse. But we actually hear it coming on. And while we're watching the hotel rooms and the empty corridors of where it happened, I was deeply, deeply moved by, she said, for two reasons. One, because of what these women went through and two, by the sheer accomplishment of the film. By refraining from the sensationalism of its antagonist, it is so much more of a, of a powerful piece. When Zoe Kazan tracks down Laura Madden to Wales, Madden, played here by Jennifer Ely, in a terrific performance. We, do, we don't get a lurid flashback, but just the powerful pronouncement. It was like he took my voice that day just when I was about to start finding it. Laura Madden was 23 at the time, and I'm going to round up now, but there were others, and the spectre of one particular star hovers over the film. When the executive editor of the New York Times takes a call from Harvey Weinstein, we hear Weinstein, almost desperate, ask, who have you talked to? And we know to whom he is referring. And when that very star agrees to talk up, and it's really her voice, on the screen in the film, there is a frisson that no straight dramatization mm. can produce. Weinstein might say that he helped to win her an Oscar, and therein lies a wonderful irony. This is precisely the time of year when Harvey Weinstein's name was all over the trade press, mm. pushing his prestige productions like Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. And now he's behind bars. This film is being <laughs> promoted 
Um, was this number, number four in the chart? Yeah. Okay. And it's a, an articulate assault on his own reputation. Okay, James. So let's move on very quickly. Just tell us what else is in the chart. We've got only seconds left. Number five, The Menu. Number six, Bones and All, a romantic horror film about some fine young cannibals. <laughs> Seven, we've got Black Adam, which was at number four. Living at number eight, which is down 61%, but has made 3.1 million mm. pounds. Lyle Lyle Crocodile down 78% at yeah. number nine. And because it's in the air, at number 10, we've got A Christmas Carol, a ghost story, which is an event, yeah. a live streaming from... Yeah. The so the Alex. Banshees is obviously out of the chart. Now, just a very brief bit of trivia. Apparently, you said anybody could have played Trunchbull, and you talked a lot last week about Ray Fiennes, who apparently was slated to play her at one time. Uh, I wonder if that would made it any more interesting. Probably not. James, thank you very much indeed. That's it for the Business of Film for this week. My thanks to James Cameron Wilson. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Is it safe? We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. Nobody puts baby in a corner. 